Well, welcome to church and Merry Christmas. If we haven't had the chance to meet yet, my name is Joe and I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, tonight we are continuing in our Advent series. Let me hear y'all say Advent. Advent, and like Pastor Joey said, Advent simply means arrival. For followers of Jesus, this season is a time for us to look back with gratitude at Jesus' first arrival, that 2,000 years ago, Jesus left his throne to move into the neighborhood, to move into his creation, to be with us in our mess so that we can know and experience God. And so we look back at his first arrival, but we also look ahead at Jesus' second coming because we know that Jesus is coming back and he's coming back for his bride. He's coming back for his church, and he's coming to make all things new. And so tonight we're continuing as we go through this series of Advent, and I want to talk today from the Advent subject of peace. Let me hear y'all say peace. 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 And so if you're taking notes, and I hope that you are, you can go ahead and write at the top, the arrival of peace. See, this word peace has become a theme for Christmas for people all around the world. It doesn't matter your background or your beliefs. This word peace is plastered on billboards and it's hung on Christmas trees. And this word peace is hanging over people's mantles right now. And I'm sure you've seen signs like this in people's yard that say joy, peace, and love, or say peace on earth. And this word peace is probably the word that is most associated with Christmas. It's this great theme of Christmas. And I'm sure, though, when you think about Christmas season, that's what you're thinking about in your everyday as well, right? Like peace. Like when you are thinking about what you're experiencing right now in your day, like maybe even today, was peace the word that first came to your mind? When you're thinking about all the gifts that you have to get for people right now, And all the last minute things that you're trying to orchestrate is peace, the word that first comes to your mind when you think about this season right now. Like when you were waiting in line at Starbucks this past week, when you were late for work and you were waiting on the arrival of that peppermint mocha, was peace the word that you were thinking about? Or were you feeling something else? Like when you and everyone else's mom decided to go out for last minute Christmas shopping this past week and you were stuck in traffic and you're sitting there on 285 and you're just sitting in your car like is peace the word, the feelings, the emotions that you're experiencing that moment or is it more like road rage? See, peace is this word that we like to talk about in Christmas time, but if we're honest, it's not actually something that we're experiencing each and every day. Like when you think about Christmas, if you're honest, the arrival of this Christmas season can mean maybe anything but peace for you. See, people are stressed out as they max out their credit cards and while they're buying stuff for people that they don't actually really care about and while you're trying to coordinate plans with families and try to figure out which grandparents' couch you're going to take a nap on and when. And you're trying to orchestrate all of these things and we're doing it all building up towards Christmas morning where maybe if you're lucky... Maybe if you're like my family, you sit down for a brief moment of peace as you read Luke chapter 2 and you get together and you're holding your kids so tight so that they stop moving and wiggling and, and you're telling them to be quiet or they don't get their presents and you're holding them so tight and then you start to read through Luke chapter 2 and when you get to the end of those verses, then you say, all right, let's go. And what happens, you're getting the trash bags out and you're tossing presents around the room and people are ripping open boxes like a bunch of savages and it's crazy, it's wild. But isn't this supposed to be the most wonderful time of the year? 
Isn't this supposed to be a peaceful time, a peaceful season? We do all of these things in the name of who prophet Isaiah describes to us as the prince of peace. We hope for peace at Christmas. We long for peace. But if we're honest, many of us experience anything but peace this time of the year. And when peace doesn't seem to arrive, what do we do? We feel let down. We feel maybe like we missed something or we end up frustrated with God. But what if Jesus, the Prince of Peace, has a better way to live in store for you and me? What if he has a better way for us to experience this peace that he talks about? See, because whether you're here and you're willing to admit it or not, we all long for peace. Whether you're a guy in this room or a girl in this room, whether you're single or you're married, we all deep down, we long and we ache for peace. We all need peace. But what if peace was more than just an ethereal sort of feeling of serenity? What if peace wasn't some just far off concept or idea that people just merely fantasize about? What if you could encounter true peace, real peace today? And what if you could discover today that peace isn't a product to be bought, but a person to know and to love? And what if you could receive today the greatest gift that Jesus has to offer you? See, today we're going to see that true peace does not come from the absence of chaos in our lives, but through the arrival of Jesus in our hearts and then a commitment to walk in his ways. And so, like we just read in our teaching text, let's turn to Isaiah chapter 9. In Isaiah chapter 9, the prophet Isaiah, he's writing and he says, For to us a child is born. To us, a son is given. If you've got your pen out, I want you to underline that word given, circle that word given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called, like we just sung about, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. See, the prophet Isaiah, he's writing to the Hebrew people in Jerusalem and in Judah at this time, and it's around 730 BC, and he's writing to them during a time where they're experiencing anything but peace. They were being attacked. They were being invaded by the Assyrians. They were at war. And this is important for us to note because for the prophet Isaiah, as he's writing, he's writing uh, out judgments for the people of God. He's writing out these judgments because time and time again, the people of God, the Hebrew people, decided to disobey God, to worship false gods, to worship false idols. And so they went through these, these habits and these rhythms and these motions of disobeying God and then obeying God for a little bit and then disobeying God time and time again. And so he's writing to these people. And just like we talked about last week, God for a season was allowing them to experience in pain in order to draw them back to him. And so this is the backdrop for this iconic Christmas verse that we read about, that there was these people who were at war, both physically and spiritually. They were being captured and murdered. They were being invaded and enslaved. In Isaiah chapter 9, he shifts from this message of judgment to a message of hope. And he's saying, God sees you. He sees you. That's the heartbeat of what's happening right here in this verse. He wants to speak and he wants to breathe life on you today. For some of you, you came here today and maybe you forgot that, but God sees you. He really sees you. And I need you to know that he sees your circumstances. He sees your situations. He sees you. And it's not like a creepy kind of he sees you like that song about Santa. He's watching you while you sleep. No, no, no. God really actually sees you. And he cares for you deeply. And he wants you to know that he is near. Can I remind you today that the Prince of Peace has come? 
He came 2,000 years ago, born to a virgin, born in obscurity to bring peace to the people of God. In Luke chapter 2, we see after Jesus is born, we see in verse 13 it says, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. See, many people read verses like this and verses like the prophet Isaiah's prophecy, and they assume that what the writers were saying is that one day when this Messiah arrives, he's going to bring peace on earth. And everything's going to be perfect, and, and all the wars are going to cease, but the peace that Jesus came to bring wasn't about ceasefires and treaties and peace symbols and hippies. No, no, no. The peace that Jesus came to bring wasn't to see wars end like in Ukraine and Gaza and Africa and beyond. No, Jesus came to bring peace to those who would trust in him. Which is why so many people, they were confused when Jesus didn't show up as some political ruler to bring harmony to the nations. No, that wasn't the case. The peace that Jesus came to bring isn't about removing some external conflict in a war world that's at war. It's about bringing wholeness to the internal conflict that wages war in our souls. See, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word that we see for peace is this word shalom. Let me hear y'all say shalom. And shalom, in its most basic sense, means whole or complete. And the picture that we see for this word shalom is this picture that refers to like a stone that has this perfect whole shape, no cracks, no spots, no blemishes. It's perfect. In Hebrew, it can also refer to my kid's playroom. When every toy is put away in the drawers that they go in and every Lego is cleaned up off the ground so I don't step on it and every Cheez-It has been vacuumed up and everything's in its place, that is shalom. The parents know what I'm talking about. That's shalom, peace. See, shalom refers to something that's complex with lots of pieces but has come together in a state of completeness or wholeness. And when you use shalom as a verb, it means to make complete or to restore. Did you know that you were created to experience true shalom with God and with his creation? In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth and every animal and everything on the earth and in the earth, and he created Adam and Eve in his image, everything was in perfect shalom, perfect harmony in the garden, Creation was whole, there was no cracks, there was no blemishes, no brokenness, it was complete. And Adam and Eve, they ruled and they reigned on this earth as God's image bearers, and they walked with God in shalom. But then everything changed when they chose to break God's command to not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they heard a lie from Satan, and then they believed that lie that God was holding out on them, and that it was better for them to disobey God, and so they disobeyed God, and they broke God's command, and they broke God's heart, and the result of that rebellion against God is sin, and let me tell you, sin messed everything up, Sin fractured the relationship that God had with humanity. And what was once whole was now broken. And humanity ever since that day has been failing and falling time and time again as they try to strive in their own strength to restore the deepest chasm of the human soul, the chasm between us and our creator. And the effects of this striving can be felt and seen in the wars that we see between nations and brokenness and families and divorces and marriages and addiction and anxiety and the sum of the pain that we experience in this world. And the problem 
is that most of this world is trying to find peace in one of two places. They're either looking for peace internally, searching within themselves for some sort of existential experience, whether that be through yoga or meditation or some sort of self-help. But that peace, that kind of peace is always subjective and it's shifting sand. It's not solid. It can't sustain. Or people are trying to experience peace internationally, hoping to see wars cease and see treaties made and guns put down. And they put all their stock in politics and economics. And they're praying for peace that would come through policies. But it doesn't. But the peace that our souls truly need is not international and it's not internal. It's an incomparable peace that's given to us by God and given for us to be reconciled with God. See, when I talk about peace tonight, we're going to be talking about how peace is not earned, it's given. It's given. See, you cannot merely earn peace by trying to be nice to people. You cannot earn it with morality or being good or by putting enough coins in that red jar thing outside of Walmart with the guy ringing the bell. That's not how you're going to get peace. See, the presence of shalom in Scripture never comes as the outcome of any human effort, which means that true shalom cannot be created within we cannot simply manifest peace. No, peace is always a gift, and it's a blessing from God. See, everyone in this room, you're either in one of two camps. You're either here, and you have not yet received the peace of God, or you're here, and you would say that, yes, I have received the peace of God. See, everyone in this room, you come to a point in your life where you'll start to ask this question, why am I not experiencing peace in this life? And I'm here to tell you today that the reason that you're not experiencing peace can be found in two different two reasons. One, you have not yet received the peace that comes only from the God of the universe, or you are here and you have received the peace that comes from God, but you are not walking in it, and you are not living in it, and you are not embracing it. And so tonight, what I want us to look at is talk about the key to experiencing peace in your life and how it starts with receiving the peace of God and then living out of that peace. See, there's an aching in your soul. There's a feeling that something's missing. There's a desire that can't seem to be met by any drink or pill or relationship or experience. Have you ever felt that ache? Have you ever experienced that, like, something feels like it's just missing? Like, maybe that's what led you here tonight. Maybe that's what led you here at some point. This longing, this aching in your soul. I'm here to tell you tonight that there's an answer to that longing. And the answer is first found by recognizing that you're at war with God. That apart from receiving the peace that Jesus brings, we are all at war with God. And the secret to receiving the gift of peace that comes from God is by first admitting that you need it. And oh, we need it. In Romans, the Apostle Paul, he writes, he says, in Romans 8, he says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. That's all of us apart from Jesus. The mind that is set on the flesh, hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. See, your primary condition of your mind towards God is not ignorance. It's not indifference. It's hostility. And there's no neutrality when it comes to our relationship with God. Like, even by choosing to not believe in God does not put you in a place of neutrality with God. It's not like, God, I'm just going to choose not to believe in you, and then we're going to be okay. Okay, you go that way, I'll go this way. No, there's no neutrality. 
See, because of what happened in the garden, hostility is the basic fundamental disposition of our hearts toward God, which means that we desperately need reconciliation to God. Our greatest need in this life is to be reconciled to God. And the greatest gift we could ever receive is the peace that Jesus gives to us. That's where we get these famous first lyrics of the popular Christmas carol that we all love. Hark, the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners reconciled. That's the theme of Christmas. That's the theme of peace. God and sinners reconciled. See, whether you believe it or not, we are all broken from birth. Romans 3.23 says, for all, let me hear y'all say all. all, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But we live in a world where people don't want to admit that they're at war with God, that they got, that there's anything wrong. See, like Pastor Joey talked about last week, God is love. Yes, God is love. And at the same time, he is holy and he is just and he is right and he is true. And so in God's holiness, his holiness demands that sin be dealt with. There has to be a payment for sin. Why? Because the wages of sin is death. And God's anger towards sin has to be appeased, which is why Jesus came to appease or to satisfy God's wrath towards sin so that you and I could be reconciled to God. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. See, the first step to receiving the peace of God is first admitting that you're at odds with God and that you need his grace to fix what's broken and to make you whole. And when that happens, that's when we experience true peace, peace with God. Romans 5.1 says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So you cannot experience the peace of God until you first have peace with God. And that's why we had to start there tonight. See, the first step, that's where shalom begins by having, experiencing peace with God, where what was broken, our relationship with God, becomes restored to wholeness. That's the primary peace that Jesus comes to bring for you and for me. D.L. Moody, the great evangelist, he says this, a great many people are trying to make peace, but that's already been done. God has not left it for us to do. All we have to do is enter into it. So I know some of you are here tonight and you're like, well, Joe, I've never done that. I've never admitted to God that I need him. I've never recognized that we're at odds. I've never recognized my need to receive the peace that Jesus brings and be reconciled to God. And so if that's you, I want to encourage you just keep on listening and keep on listening because tonight I want to lead you in a prayer to receive the peace of God tonight. And so let me summarize up to this point, okay? We all ache for peace because we were created to be at peace with God. But sin messed that up, broke what was whole, and now our lives are spent either searching for that peace or living out of that peace. And so I want to shift gears because once you have received true peace, which is on God, now it's our responsibility to live in it. And so I want to talk about what it looks like to experience the peace of God in our lives today. Because here's what I know to be true. So many of y'all, you're here tonight, and you're like, okay, Joe, I get it. I'm a Christian. I follow Jesus. I'm not at odds with God anymore. I'm a child of God. But how come my life is still chaotic? Why does it seem like my anxiety is always on the rise, that my fears are always crippling, my heart is always racing, my mind won't stop wandering, and my life is anything but peaceful? See, first we need to remind ourselves that the peace that Jesus brings 
is not just the removal of conflict. It's not about just the absence of conflict. It's about the arrival of something better in our lives. The Apostle Paul, he writes in Philippians chapter 4, and he's writing from prison, and he gives us a prescription for how we can experience the peace of God in our lives. And this is what he says. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be made known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, that word supplication, this earnest, this like crying out, this consistent, humble cry out to the Lord. With supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This is the prescription for the peace of God that you and I can receive and live in. And it's better than anything that you can ever understand. How many of y'all know that a prescription is only as powerful as the person who chooses to actually follow the instructions and take the medicine? Like, I don't know about y'all. I haven't been to the doctor in a while, and I know that I probably need to go. But what I do do when I get sick is that I immediately uh, I hop on uh, my favorite Teladoc uh, website and I get on there and I do a little FaceTime chat with a doctor and I'm like, hey, I'm sick. Can you give me some medicine? And they're like, yes. And so they give me a prescription and they send it into Walgreens and I take my sick butt and I put it in the car and I drive up to Walgreens. And when I get to Walgreens, what do I do? I go and I get the medicine and on every single bottle of medicine that you've ever received in your life, there's instructions on the medicine. I think that's called the prescription. And on that medicine, it's gonna tell you what to do with that medicine. And with fail this is what happens to me and I'm sure it happens to a lot of you is that you'll start to take that medicine and within a day or two you're like I feel great race to life I'm good good as new here we go and you just keep on with your life and you start living in that healing that you thought that you received but what happens is that you stop taking that medicine after you start feeling better and you forget that printed on that bottle every time without fail at least for me for those antibiotics that I need it says take all of the pills for up to 10 days or until every pill is gone. And so what happens is when you don't follow the prescription and take the medicine, a week later, you're sick again. And that virus has now come back and you're not actually living in true healing. See, the problem is that so many of us, we've experienced getting sick, but then we forgot to follow the prescription and take the medicine. See, the reason why so many of us today aren't experiencing the peace of Jesus in our lives is we got the prescription, but we failed to follow through and take the medicine. And what Paul is giving us right here in Philippians chapter four is a prescription to experiencing the peace of God in our lives. It's so true that for many of us, when we started to follow Jesus, maybe you had that mountaintop moment, and Jesus transformed your life and you started to do the things that Christians do. You started reading your Bible and praying and practicing Sabbath with biblical community and you worshiped and not just with like your hands in your pockets, but you were like, hallelujah. And you really just worshiped and pursued God. But at some point in your life, life got busy, your habits changed and you thought you could do it on your own and you just stopped following the prescription. And so you fall back into sin and temptation, and then chaos starts to ensue, and then you wonder why there's no peace in your life, and you get mad at God, and you start to blame him for everything that's gone wrong. You know how I know this to be true? It's because it's happened to me, and I'm sure it's happened to so many of you, and it was the story for the people of Israel in the Old Testament as well. They experienced it as well, that when you lose 
your commitment to obey God, you miss out on the true peace of God every single time. And that's why so many of us were experiencing anything but shalom and we've got to get back to diagnosing the problem. We gotta go to the source, find what's underneath, causing all this chaos. And yes, sometimes what we're experiencing is simply from God and he's trying to draw us back to him. He's trying to allow things to happen in our lives to draw us back to his presence. But oftentimes there's some habit or there's some practice of our life that's at the root and we've gotta address it. See, so many of us, we say we want peace in our lives, but the practices of our lives produce anything but peace. We fill our schedules with meetings and activities and sports and we fill our plates with more work than we can manage and we max out our capacities and we live lives of hurry and worry and then we wonder why we don't experience the peace of God each and every day. Because we say we want peace, but then we cultivate lives that are at odds with it. But Paul says, hey, if you want to experience a life of peace, here's the steps, here's the prescription. He says, rejoice always. In every circumstance, rejoice. Yes, when everything's going great, and yes, when your kids get sick, and yes, when you lose that job, and yes, when you can't pay that bill or buy those gifts, and yes, when that diagnosis comes, and yes, when that friend lets you down, and yes, when things don't go your way, rejoice. And then he says, drown your worry in prayer. See, if you're gonna live a life that experiences the peace of God, you gotta learn to kill worry and get rid of it. Remember the Old Testament word for peace that we talked about earlier, shalom. Well, in the New Testament, the Greek word for peace is this word, arene, arene, which means to join together. The joining together of that which was separated. See, arene is not just about the absence of hostility or strife, which that's part of it, but it also describes a situation where two are brought together and there's no longer anything between them to cause friction or create a barrier. And let me tell you, when we look at this word arene in the New Testament, this word talking about being joined together, there's a word that is the opposite of that word in the Greek, and that is the word that we come to see as anxiety. That peace, arene, is what joins you together, but anxiety or worry describes a mind which is literally pulled apart, drawn in different directions. And so Paul says that the antidote for anxiety is prayer. Like I love how Pastor Joey speaks about us overcoming worry by simply talking to God about what we're talking to ourselves about. Talking to God about what we're talking to ourselves about. And I promise this will change your life forever. See, because so much of the chaos that we experience in our minds is a result of us keeping our worries to ourselves. Like so many of us, we are selfish with our thoughts. You're selfish. You're like, you're just keeping them all to yourself. And God's like, hey, would you talk to me about that? Would you give that to me? Would you let me in on that conversation that you keep having with yourself? Because I promise if you'll let me in on it, I can help. I can help. Every single time, I can help. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Cast all of your anxiety on him because he cares for you. He cares for you. It's that we need to turn our cares into prayers and throw our worries upon God, knowing that he is the one that cares for us. And that is when he exchanges our worry with his peace. A few months ago, uh, a couple months ago, I had the opportunity to go camping with my son Hudson and my friend Hayden and his two boys here from Elevate City. And we got to go camping up at Tallulah Gorge. And, um, and it was going to be this beautiful camping trip. It was. And um, it was going to be. I promise it was great. <laughs> and, um, 
We had our campsite booked. It was called a backcountry campsite. And I don't know if you know what that means, but what that means is that you have to hike to your campsite. Like, it's not like you just pull up there, get everything out of your car, and you're right there. No, 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 you got to hike to the backcountry to get to your campsite. And so we drive up on a Friday afternoon, and because there's three boys with us, we're running a little bit behind, and so we're getting there as the sun's coming down, and we show up, and we thought it was just going to be like a half a mile hike up to our campsite. And what we thought was going to be a half a mile turns out to be a mile and a half hike up a mountain with three boys carrying all of our equipment. And so we get out, and I'm just like hyping myself up. I'm like, okay, we got this. We got this. And and so I'm looking to Hudson, and I got this wagon, y'all. And um, I've got a picture of us up here. You can check it out and say, oh, that's me and Hudson. And so that's my son, Hudson. And so we're getting out of the car, and I've got this wagon, and I start to load the wagon full of all of the equipment that we have, tents and cooler and uh, all the different uh, firewood and our bags and all the things, okay? And so I got this wagon, and I filled it up with all the stuff, and I'm going to be pulling the wagon up there, and I got my backpack on. And I said to Hudson, I said, hey, you need to help with this. I'm trying to teach you a lesson. you got to help carry some of this stuff up the mountain. And so he's got his sleeping bag, and then he's got his water bottle, and then he's got his backpack. And I was like, you good? And he's like, I'm good. And so we start on this hike as the sun's coming down up this mountain. And let me just tell you that it wasn't like an easy hike. Like there was like boulders we're climbing over. There's like steps we're having to go up. Like it was crazy. And so we're on our way going up this hike. And, and it turns out that Hudson got a little tired. His cheeks start to get red and his face starts to sweat when he gets tired. And so we're going up there and he turns to me. He's like, dad, I can't carry this. Dad, I can't carry this sleeping bag anymore. And I was like, okay, son, I got you. I got you. Give it to me. And so I take his sleeping bag. And so I've got my backpack and I got his sleeping bag and I'm pulling the wagon at the same time. And we're going up this mountain and my legs are burning and my heart is racing and we're going and we're just pulling things along and we're making our way up there. And then he turns to me again. He's like, dad, I'm tired. Dad, I'm tired. Here, dad, I can't carry this anymore. And so he gives me his backpack. Now I'm carrying his backpack and I'm throwing it in the wagon. And so pulling up there and I've got his, his sleeping bag and, and the wagon and I've got his backpack now and we're going and we're going and we haven't even made it that far by this point. And and then he's like, Dad, I can't carry this anymore. And then I said, okay, son. And so he gives me his water bottle. And we're making our way up this mountain. And as we're going, I'm carrying all this stuff. And I'm just lugging it. And Hayden's next to me. And, and he looks like one of those guys like climbing Everest. He's got all the things all over him. And, and all of our kids are running up there. But they got nothing in their hands. <laughs> and their dads are carrying all this stuff. And you know what I realized then is Hudson knew that he could cast all of the things that he was carrying in his hands onto his dad. Because he knew, my dad's got me. I may not be able to carry these things, but my dad can carry these things. And I know, as a son, that I can cast these things on my dad. And he's going to carry what I cannot carry so that I can live freely and lightly. And so much of the Christian life, of a follower of Jesus, is learning to cast your cares on your father. To throw your cares upon Jesus. To say, hey God, I cannot carry this. But what I can't carry, I know that you can. And so I'm going to take what's in my hands and I'm going to cast it onto you. Knowing that you care for me. Paul says, let your request be made known to God. He's saying, talk to him. Give it to him. Lay it on him. God's standing there with his hands open saying, give me all that you got. And so I want to ask you, what are you holding on to tonight that you need to cast on God? What are you walking with that you need to give to your father in this season? What care or worry or frustration or relationship or what area of faith do you just got to give to God and trust in him, knowing that he can carry what you cannot carry so that you can walk in this journey towards the destination he has for you, living a life 
running towards Jesus, walking with him step by step. Paul says, cast it all on God. Cast it on him. That's the journey that we're on. And then he says these words at the end of Philippians chapter 4. He says, then the peace of God will guard our hearts, your heart. Your heart is the source of wrong feelings that lead to anxiety. He says, and it'll guard your mind, which is the source of wrong thinking that leads to worry. And then, and only then, will we experience the peace of God. See, a life of peace is possible. And it's a peace that is better than anything that this world has to offer. And you know what? It doesn't make sense to the rest of the world. It says it surpasses all understanding. It doesn't make sense. There's a reason why people critique it. Because it, it's hard to understand. But it's better than anything this world has to offer. The prophet Isaiah, he writes in Isaiah 26.3, he says, You keep him in perfect peace. Speaking about God. You keep who in perfect peace? Those whose mind is stayed on you. Because he trusts in you. See, experiencing the peace of God in our lives looks like a cycle of setting our minds on God every day. I'm going to stay my mind on him through his word. I'm going to seek him in worship. I'm going to talk to him in prayer every single day. And then in all things, in the highs and in the lows, I'm going to trust God. I'm going to stay my mind on him and I'm going to trust him. I'm going to stay my mind on him and I'm going to trust him. See, followers of Jesus shouldn't have any time for anger because our mind is stayed on God. We ain't got time to be mad. We ain't got time for unforgiveness. I ain't got time for, I don't have capacity for this trap of comparison that we see on social media. I ain't got time to keep scrolling. No, my mind is stayed on God. And because my mind is stayed on God, I can learn to replace worry with worship because my mind is stayed on God. And that's what the pattern of our lives should be. I wake up, I set my mind on God. I talk to Jesus and I trust in God, and I let that be the frame that I build the rest of my life within. And so what does that look like? Well, Paul says in verse 8, Philippians 4, 8, he says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. It's staying your mind on God. Think like that. Replace the lies of the world with this truth, with that truth, with the truths of God. Jesus says in Matthew 6, he says, don't worry. Don't be anxious. He says in verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. See, you and I will never experience the peace of Jesus without practicing the patterns of Jesus. And the patterns of Jesus were always countercultural, and they were always kingdom-centered. See, Jesus regularly got up. He got up early. He spent time in prayer with the Father. He regularly read and memorized and recited scripture. He fasted even when it didn't make sense to the religious leaders. Jesus prioritized Sabbath and regularly gathered with his community. He was actively involved in discipling people. He lived a life of purpose. And in just three years, he changed the world forever. And he lived a life of simplicity and was never in a hurry. You see, so many of us We've engineered lives where hurry is the norm and peace is an oddity. And then we wonder, why aren't we experiencing the peace of God? And we start to lose our patience with our kids and with our friends and with the people that we love. And see, it's because peace and hurry, they're incompatible. They're at odds. And the same is true with busyness. Like, when someone asks you how you're doing, is your first response usually, yeah, man, I'm good, you know, just busy. I'm just busy. 
Someone's like, hey, what's going on in your world? Oh, just busy, man, just busy. Busy with work? Oh, I'm just busy. Like, is that how you respond when people ask you how you're doing? And if it is, let me just tell you, don't do that. Stop that. I try to all the time. I'm, I'm trying to stop that too. I don't want my, the first thing that I think of when I think about my life to be busy. Why? Because God created us to live at peace, at peace with him. I love how John Mark Comer, he writes in his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And he's quoting uh, Corey Ten Boom. And he says, Corey Ten Boom once said, if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. He says, there's truth in that. Both sin and busyness have the, same, has, have the exact same effect. They cut off your connection to God, to other people, and even to your own soul. See, if you want to experience the peace of Jesus, you got to learn to practice the patterns of Jesus. That's why confession is so important. So important. Now I get it, like Jesus didn't have to confess sin because Jesus never sinned. But confessing our sins, pursuing holiness and obedience, it's essential to the life of a Jesus follower. Because in order to have peace within, you got to get the junk out. You got to get the junk out. You got to take out the trash. Y'all ever forget trash, tra trash day at your house? Have you ever forgot trash day? Like, have you ever forgotten to take out the trash before? Okay, well, ever since I was like in the womb, one of my chores has always been taking out the trash. And, and I'll never forget, like even growing up, like it was the thing that I did. And I always knew that I'd take the trash from the kitchen and I bring it outside and I put it into the dumpster. And then once a week, I take the trash out to the road and that's my job. That's what I do. And I still do it to this day. And I actually find like a great joy in taking out the trash. Because, here, because here's why. Because I know that if I miss trash day, I'm not going to be able to sleep the next night. Like it stresses me out. And y'all are going to think like, Joe, you, you are weird. I promise you, this is like one of the worst things that can happen in my life on a given day. If I forget trash day, it's like I'll be sitting in a meeting and I'm like, what am I going to do with this trash later? Like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Like stuff's just going to start piling up and I don't know where it's going to go. And, and I start to stress out and I start to worry and I start to think of like worst case scenario. Like what if I miss it twice? Y'all ever miss it twice? Like, if you miss trash day twice, like, you might as well give up your garage. Like, throw everything in there, turn it into, like, this dumpster. Like, what are you going to do? And for me, if I miss trash day, it's the worst thing ever. And it causes me this stress, and it causes me this worry. And that is what keeping sin around in your life will do to your soul. When we keep sin around in our lives, it's that we're forgetting to take the trash out. We're forgetting to bring it to the road to Jesus where he can cleanse us and restore us and make us new. And when we keep that around, what does it do? It causes chaos and it wreaks havoc in our soul and it stresses us out and it makes us worry and anxious. And we start to make even worse decisions and it just spirals throughout our lives. And so for some of you tonight, I just want this to be a reminder for you that you can bring that to God. Just like you cast your cares on him, you can confess your sin and he'll cleanse you and restore what's broken within you. First John 1 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So I wanna challenge you now, it's time to take the trash out. It's time to cut that habit. It's time to clear out the garage. It's time to bring it to the road. And just like how God gives us peace, it's a gift. He's the one that does the deep cleaning in our lives when we confess, when we speak, when we bring it to the light. And just like there's a designated day of the week that you bring the trash to the road, I just want this to be a reminder for you that when you gather with the people of God, let this be a reminder for you to ask this question. Do I got some junk in my life right now? 
Do I need to give to Jesus? Do I need to confess? Do I, what, what can I come and, and bring to the altar tonight and ask for God to cleanse me and restore me and so I can get that out of my life so that I can walk in the peace that God has created me to live in? It's time to take the trash out. See, so many of us, I think we're looking for peace in all the wrong places. And we live in a world where people are saying, I just can't find peace. I just, I just can't find it. And so we're looking and searching and searching. But sometimes finding peace actually requires losing something else that we care about. Like maybe it's comfort. Maybe for you it's stability. Maybe for you it's that relationship that you know deep down is distancing you from God. Maybe it's your desire, your, your unending desire to please that family member or your need for approval. Maybe there's something in your life that you've got to give up, that you've got to lose, that you've got to bring to Jesus in order to find the peace that he wants to give you. Because you were created for that peace. And God's desire is for you to walk in peace with him. And so sometimes we got to lose the very thing that we thought was everything in order to find the peace that Jesus has for us. See, because peace isn't a product to be bought. It's a person to know and to give everything to. I want to close with this story. Jim Walton, he was a missionary that was translating the New Testament for the Mwani people of La Sabana in the jungles of Colombia. But he was having trouble as he was translating these scriptures, he was having trouble with the word peace. And during his time there, there was this village chief named Fernando and he was promised, Fernando was promised this 20 minute plane ride that was gonna take him to a location that would have taken him three days to travel by foot. And he was waiting out there on the strip for this plane, but the plane didn't come. And there was this mix up and, and this chief, this Village chief Fernando was upset. He was irate. He was actually livid. And so he goes to Jim and he let him have it. And he's yelling and he's screaming and he's letting out his frustration. And he's just laying it all on Jim. Well, fortunately, Jim had taped the entire interaction with the chief, recorded it all. A few days later, he goes back and he's trying to translate all the yelling. And he discovered that the chief kept repeating this one phrase over and over. He kept saying, I don't have one heart. 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 And so Jim, he went and he asked the other villagers, what does this one heart mean? What does he mean when he's saying, I don't have one heart? And he found out that it's exactly like saying, there's nothing between you and the other person. And immediately when Jim heard that, a light bulb went off. And he realized that's exactly what he needed to translate the word peace. See, to have peace with God means that there is nothing, no sin, no guilt, no condemnation that separates us from God. And that peace with God is possible only through Jesus. And so let me ask you tonight, do you feel like you got one heart with God tonight? Because in Jesus, you can. And in Jesus, you do. And Elevate City, I'm just here to ask tonight that what if we decided that we would live our lives in such a way where our mindset was always, I'm just trying to get closer together with Jesus. I'm just trying to be joined together with Jesus that I want to get as close as I can get. And if something comes between us, I'm removing it. I'm getting that out of there. I'm casting that away. I'm getting rid of that because I just want to be as close as I can to Jesus. I want to have one heart with Jesus. I want to walk where he walks. I want to sleep where he sleeps. I want to step where he steps because where Jesus goes, peace goes. And I want to be where Jesus is. And I want the peace that he has to offer me in my life. I'm just trying to have one heart with him. 
See, Jesus, he came to make us whole. He came to bridge the gap. He came to make us new. He came to bring us home. And we could not come home before because we were at war. We were at odds, but Jesus brought peace. See, true peace doesn't come from the absence of chaos in our lives, but through the arrival of Jesus in our hearts and then a commitment to walk in his ways. See, Jesus' peace is so near and so close. You know how? Because he actually gives his peace to live inside of us through his Holy Spirit to come and dwell within our hearts. How can we have one heart with God? Well, by God giving us a new heart and by him invading our hearts with his presence. And that's how Jesus leaves things with his followers and his disciples. He reminds them that this is the greatest gift they could ever receive. He says in John 14, he says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give. In other words, it ain't gonna make sense. Let not your hearts be troubled, troubled, neither let them be afraid. And then he says again in John chapter 20, he says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. It's this reminder that as we've experienced peace, now we are peace dealers. We go and we be people of peace to a world that is at war, to a world that needs to be reconciled to God. We take that peace and we go out into this world. And we say, hey, do you want to know where you can experience true peace? It's found in Jesus and Jesus alone. And then when he had said this in verse 22, don't miss this. He breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. See, I believe Jesus is wanting to breathe over this room tonight and breathe over your life tonight. The peace that can be found through the power of his presence, his Holy Spirit living in you. And so what if this Christmas, your story was, I found my peace. I've got peace. I've got peace with God and peace from God by his Holy Spirit living within me. I've got peace. I get to walk in that today. We talked about the garden earlier, the Garden of Eden where Shalom was fractured well, as we talk about looking back to Jesus' first arrival and then ahead to Jesus' second arrival, I just want to close by reading this description that we see in Revelation chapter 21, where we see this picture of peace and what Jesus comes to do for you and me to make all things new. This is Shalom. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. And he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain, nor anything. For the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. I'm making all things new. Also, he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end to the thirsty. I will give spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he 
will be my son. That's the peace that Jesus wants to give to each and us, each and every one of us. And as we look ahead towards his second coming, that's what we can look forward to, where every tear will be wiped away and we'll experience shalom, wholeness, arene, as we were created to join together with one heart with our creator forevermore. That's the peace that we're created to step into.